Psalm 32, hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach Him. You are a hiding place to me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, Lord, take the words of this psalm and write them on our hearts. Bring them into our lives that Christ may be exalted in our repentance and faith for His name's sake. Amen. This is a happy psalm. Or at least, it's a psalm that points us back to our happiness in God. It's one of seven of the penitential psalms. That is, psalms of repentance leading us back into restored fellowship with God. And so at the heart of this psalm is a reminder that we find great joy and relief in confessing our sins and receiving the assurance of God's forgiveness. But sorrow and grief follow those who hold on to their sin and refuse to repent. And so this morning, uh, let's let David teach us the joy of forgiveness that comes through repentance and confession. The Psalms are meant to be experienced, not just read uh, in a mere intellectual way. They are meant to get into your soul. And so Lord, help us to do that this morning. First of all, just notice at the beginning the, the abounding happiness of those who acknowledge their sin and receive His forgiveness. Again, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Blessed, blessed, he says. Doubly blessed. In fact, there's even more to it than that because these blesseds are actually plural. So, blessednesses, blessednesses, he says. It's an abounding joy, a a multiplying reality and supply of happiness. And I say happiness because this is the same word you may remember that we saw uh, back in Psalm 1, Ashrei, blessing, which means you are in a position to receive good from God. 
you're in a place to receive the ongoing blessing of His presence. So this isn't talking about a one-time sip of joy that forgiveness brings, but a free-flowing fountain of it, a, a continual experience of God's grace and kindness through a renewed fellowship with Him. And so, oh, the blissful joy of being fully forgiven. And notice how he says it here. Uh, there is actually a three-fold repetition in order to emphasize the depth and comprehensiveness of this forgiveness. He says, transgressions forgiven, sin covered, and iniquities no longer counted against you. So, so take this in if you're in Christ. First of all, if you're a believer in Christ, trusting Him, it says... There is joy in having your transgressions forgiven. Now, this word transgression means a willful kind of rebellion. You didn't just slip up a little or stumble into sin. You went into it with your eyes wide open. You're not a victim here. You rebelled against Him. Now, what R.C. Sproul calls a cosmic treason. That came a point and you refused to go His way because you wanted your way. Isn't that ex your experience? And then that choice that you made to sin makes you guilty before God. You have transgressed His holy commands. So you stand guilty. Am I speaking to anyone here? I ought to be speaking to everyone. But now He says, because of Christ... Your transgression is forgiven. Now look at that word forgiven. It, it, it means to lift a burden. Because that is exactly what Christ has done for those who trust in Him. He came and He took the burden of guilt off of your back and placed it upon Himself and carried it away to the cross. Blessed are you. Isaiah 53.12 uses the same word when it says that Christ bore our sins upon Himself. He carried them away from us to the cross. Blessed are you if that is the case. Second, He mentions the joy of knowing that your sins are covered. That word sin means to, to miss the mark. It's like, like shooting an arrow at a target and just missing it completely which would be what would happen probably with me if you took me hunting with a bow and arrow. But that's what we've all done. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's Word established the holy standard by which we must live and according to which we will be judged. And we have, each and every one of us, fallen short of that standard again and again and again. God's Word requires truth, but we have lied. God's Word commands purity in all things, but we have dirty minds and filthy hands. It requires kindness, and we've been harsh, maybe even already today. It commands us to love, and yet we don't even like some of these people. God's Word requires these things and we again and again have missed the mark. And the point is we are guilty of this sin. And the wages of sin is death. So what is our hope? Blessed are you when Christ has covered your sin. 
The word covered pictures the atonement. Uh, burying our sin beneath His blood shed on our behalf, removing it from ever, forever from God's sight by His substitutionary atonement, His death in our place. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions. Psalm 103.12 says, So blessed are you. Yes, you have sinned, but if you're in Christ, your sins are covered by the blood He shed. Which brings us into the third blessed, the third thing, the blessing of knowing if you're in Christ, God will never count your sins against you. Look at verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. That word iniquity points to the twisted nature of our sin, how it bends us away from God and curves us inward on ourselves. So rather than pursuing God, we pursue our own lust. So we chase our own desires rather than doing His holy will. Sin perverts our minds and our hearts so that we begin to stand against God. We refuse God. We dishonor God with our lives. And again, we are guilty. Psalm 130 verse 3 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If God holds your sin against you, dear one, you are doomed. You are eternally doomed. But the blessing of forgiveness declares that if you are in Christ, listen to it, God will never count your sin against you. Why? Because He's already counted it against Christ in your place. If Christ took your punishment, the punishment for your sin upon Himself, then God will never lay that punishment upon you. It is gone because it is taken care of in Christ. Again, verse 2, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts how much iniquity? No iniquity. If it's been counted against Him, then it will never be counted against me. Theologically, this is what we call the blessing of imputation, which is just a fancy word for the way God counts sin. If He counted it against Christ, and you are in Christ, then He will not count it against you. You are freed from its guilt. What's more, according to Romans 4, which quotes this very passage, look it up, Paul thought this was talking about Christ. If you... According to Romans 4, not only does He count your guilt against Christ, taking it away to the cross, but when by faith you trust in Christ, He also counts Christ's righteousness for you. Christ's perfect righteousness is counted as your righteousness so that you are accepted as though you were Christ into all the blessing of God's presence. You talk about a blessing? To to know that this is true of you? To know that your guilt has been lifted and carried away to the cross, your, your sins have been covered by the blood of Christ shed in atonement so that you yourself will never face their punishment because all of it fell on Christ in your place. That's the Gospel. That's what He is celebrating here. That's, that's the blessing of forgiveness that is, belongs to those who trust in Christ Why aren't you dancing just a little? In whose spirit there is no deceit. 
Which means, in effect, your faith is genuine. You're not faking it. You're, you're not just going through the motions of religion, you know, showing up, doing the thing, and then going on about your own business. Uh, from the heart, you've placed your faith in Christ alone. You're trusting Him for what He alone can do. And you are now walking with Him by the strength He provides through that new work in you. He says to you, blessed are you. The blessing of forgiveness. And oh, how I pray... This is something that for you is more than just words, but it's the reality by which you live. Okay, then how do we receive the reality of this blessing? That's the second thing we need to see here. And that is, taking up David's own example, stop hiding your sin then and confess it to Him and you will receive His forgiveness. Verses 3-5, through five. again, this is David's own testimony here. He says, For when I kept silent about my sin, he means, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as it, by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Notice again David's testimony. He is telling us how it went with him when he did try to cover over his sin. Probably this is talking about his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, that whole mess in 2 Samuel 11. I mean, do you remember how he tried to cover it all up? Oh, listen, that never ends well for anyone. To cover your own sin. Never ends well. And, and sin never sits lightly on the life of a saint. So notice what happens when, when we try to sit with our sin rather than confessing it to God for Him to take away. First of all, he says that our unconfessed sin poisons us. Unconfessed sin poisons the life of those who hold on to it. David says, when I kept silent about my sin, what happened? What happened? My bones wasted away. It was like cancer, he says, eating me alive from the inside out. And understand, dear, when sin is a cancer, far worse even than physical cancer. For just like cancer, it simply can't be ignored. You can't pretend that it's not there. It will gnaw you from the inside out. Haven't you experienced that? Haven't you tasted, I think probably every honest person here would say, how guilt rots the heart from the inside out? Our friend John Owen says, sin breaks the bones of the soul. As long as you try to cling to it, try to hold it to yourself, it will poison you. It will kill you. Imagine having a piece of radioactive plutonium and, and clutching it to your breast, hiding its existence from others. Uh, that The longer you clutch it to yourself, the more damage it will do as its poison seeps into the whole of your system. Sin is like that. The wages of death is sin. The, the longer you hold on to it, the more death it brings you. And so David says, as long as I held it to myself and refused to confess it to God, I was miserable. You know, a whole lot, psychologists have told us, 
A lot of depression out there in the world right now, and we are awash with it. A lot of it is rooted in the guilt of unrepentant sin. Now, they don't tend to call it that, but they're talking about guilt. And where does that guilt come from? Because we are made in the image of God, and even when we ignore Him and deny Him, we know. Now, not all depression comes from that. I'm not saying that at all. There are many causes and many different reasons, and, 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 and if you're dealing with that, you need to get help from someone. But do test yourself in this. Could some of your inward struggles, your inability to sleep, your anxiety, could some of that be coming from sins that you are holding on to, refusing to confess and abandon? The second, even more deadly, sin brings God's opposition against you. Verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God will not make friends with your sin. He won't pretend, in fact, to be on a friendly term with you if you remain in your sin. In fact, if you're His and He loves you, He will discipline you in order to remove the poison of that sin from your life. And understand, dear believer, speaking to you, His discipline can be a heavy thing. Hebrews 12.5 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves. He chastises every son whom He receives. If you're a son, you will be chastised every time you hold on to your sin. And then He says, because our parents disciplined us for a short time, it seemed best to them, but He, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. Count on this. If you try to hold on to your sin, God will discipline you for it. He loves you too much to let you keep hold of it because it is killing you. He says to you, No, my child, you can't sleep with that rattlesnake. I don't care how cuddly you think it is. And if I have to break your arm to pry it from your hand out of love for you, I'm going to do it. Notice what David says. When I held on to my sin, Lord, Your hand was heavy upon me. You know what that actually means? It means You beat me severely. It means You took me to the woodshed. And it really hurt. You ever had a whooping from the Lord? I had a lady say to me one time, Have you ever had a whooping from the Lord? God would rather send you through a time of tears than let you keep holding on to your sin. Have you been there? You ever faced a beating from the Lord because of some sin you were holding on to? Now why do we do that? Why do I do that? Well, frankly, it's because we're foolish. And unrepentant sin makes us fools. Fools who would rather fight God over a sin that is killing us than receive the forgiveness and grace He so freely offers us. Third, He says, holding on to sin like this, in fact, will wear you out. Look at the end of verse 4. He says, My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Fighting God over your sin will, in fact, just suck the life right out of you. What a week to read that verse. Right? You felt that this week, didn't you? 
You step outside in this 100 degree plus heat and humility, and I don't know about humility. Humidity. I don't know about you, I just, I just wilt. Like my, I've got plants out here in my garden that, that, that gets really hot like that and they just sort of wilt away and begin to fall to the ground because of the, 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 of the searching heat. It just sucks the life right out of you. Some of you are like that spiritually right now because of some sin you keep holding on to. Some wrong you refuse to confess to Him and let go. And it's, it's killing you spiritually. You have no zest for God. You have no desire for His Word. No delight in prayer. Why? Because there's something you're holding on to that you want more than you want God. Will you not give it up? That's why I believe he has this Selah here. Now, you look in the margin, those little Selahs, I don't always read those because they're, they're, they're kind of a musical term, a poetic term that goes with the Psalms. But what they actually mean is something like pause here. Stop and reflect here. Stop and consider what David just said and think about what this is saying to you and what you in turn need to do about it. Because you see, this is the turning point. In this psalm, notice the change that comes in verse 5 as David confesses his sin. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. <laughs> Did you catch that he repeated the same threefold description of sin we saw in verse 1? Sin, iniquity, transgression, all of them are here. Uh, the point being, he's confessing all of his sin. He's not holding any of them back. He's not whitewashing it. He is saying, frankly, I'm guilty. And then he piles up three more words describing his confession, emphasizing its comprehensiveness. First he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I made it known, it means. I owned up to it. I stopped ignoring it and downplaying it and I brought it to God and I said, I'm guilty, Lord, you're right. Some of you just need to do that. Go to God and say, you're right, God, I'm guilty. Just be honest with God and say, Lord, I have sinned. You're right. Second, he said, I quit covering it up. I, I stopped trying to pretend it was no big deal. It is a big deal. So I brought it out into the open. Some of you won't even admit to yourself that the sin you've committed is evil in His sight. You won't look it square in the face and say, this is a horrendous thing that I have done. I've chosen evil rather than righteousness. David says, stop hiding it. Bring it into the light of God's mercy. Confess it to Him as the wicked thing that it is and let Him take it away. And third, he spoke. Now notice that he spoke. Words come out of his mouth, even, even uh, verbally uh, addressing himself and encouraging himself. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Come on, soul, get to it. And you forgave me. Hosea 14 verse 2 tells us the same thing. It says, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, take away all my iniquity, accept what is good. Take words with you. Use your words. It should be verbal. Not, you know, well, Lord, you know, I messed up a bit. I stumbled. Oops. Sorry. No. None of that nonsense. This is open, bold confession of sin and rebellion. 
Lord, I transgressed Your holy commands. I've rebelled against You. I've done what is evil in Your sight. Have mercy! I mean, listen to David's actual prayer in Psalm 51, 3 and 4. After his sin with Bathsheba, David came and said, For I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God, I have sinned, he says. Have mercy on me. There's no excuse. Some of you just need to work through Psalm 51 this week and let it become your prayer as, as you take your sin and you, you bring it into the light and you confess it and leave it there with God. And when David had done that, when David confessed like that, what happened? What happened? Look at verse 5 at the end of it. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I mean, listen to those words. You took it away, he says. You, you lifted the burden. Same word we saw earlier. You carried it away from me as far as the east is from the west. You ever feel that burden lifted from your shoulders? Oh dear one, you can. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. I think that's something you ought to feel at some point. Like water running over your soul, washing away your guilt, taking it down the drain of His forgetfulness and never bringing it back. Friend, this is what you're being called to when you're being called to confession. Which brings us to the third thing here, and that is God's invitation to you to confess your sins and receive the joy of a renewed fellowship with Him. There's a conversation taking place here in verses 6 through 11 that is intended to sweep us along and bring us to that place of repentance. Several different voices speak. The first is David himself. David speaks to us who are reading, pleading with us to join him in his repentance. Verse 6, therefore, see the turn here, the application, therefore let everyone who is Godly, now that word godly means of God, those who want God, those who, or those who are trusting in God, those who are claiming God as their God. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach Him. He's pleading with us. Come, He says. Come while there is still time. Come uh, before it's too late. Come while He may be found. Isaiah 55 verse 6, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. The, the door of God's mercy is open wide right now, but understand it won't always be. There's even a hint here of the days of Noah. Look at the waters he mentions. Back when the door of the ark was open for any to come, the invitation went out for all to come, and yet they did not come. He says, before it's too late, before the ark's door is shut, come! Behold, now is the day of salvation. Come in repentance to receive God's promised mercy. Come, because once the door is shut... Again, that's why he says, Surely the flood of great waters will not reach the one who has come safely into the ark, so you must come while you still can. Second, David himself speaks again. He speaks to God with gratitude for God delivering him from his sin. Verse 7, You, he says, are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts 
of deliverance. The one who comes to God in repentance and faith through Christ, listen, will never be turned away. God loves our repentance. That's why we should love it, by the way. And so like the prodigal, when he, when, he, when he came to himself in the far country and realized the greatness of his sin against his father, ran home not knowing exactly what to expect. And when he gets there, his father is looking for him. His father greets him and runs to him and enfolds him with kisses and embraces of warmth and the sound of celebration. And friend, that can be your experience. <laughs> father, I've sinned, but you are my hiding place. I come to you for restoration. Do you see what's happening here? See, this isn't just a call to receive forgiveness and and go on about your way as sweet as forgiveness is. This is a promise of restoration to fellowship, to fall into the enfolding arms of His love. I mean, I love this picture. When you read these things, you ought to picture them in your mind. Sitting there, the prodigal, filthy with pig slop, embraced by the Father in forgiveness, enfolded with His loving arms, hearing Him shout with joy over you because you've returned. My son who was dead has returned. My daughter who has gone so far away has come home. I mean, this, this is the party of the pardoned. As God celebrates our return and invites us to rejoice with Him with songs, sounds, shouts of deliverance. And then God Himself speaks to us in verses 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Oh, don't be like the horse and the mule without understanding which ones be curbed with bit and bridle or they will not come near you. Notice God is the one speaking here. Listen to what He says to the repentant. First of all, notice He speaks of assurance. Now that you're home, I'm not going to let you go astray. I'm going to teach you how to walk with me and enjoy my fellowship because more than anything, this is what I want. I want to see you enjoying fellowship with me. Listen, dear one, God does not save us to abandon us back to ourselves. He saves us to bring us into new life and fellowship and joy with Him. And so notice He says, I'm going to instruct you and teach you and counsel you in the way you should go. That good way. Again, the psalmist loves this. You see the threefold emphasis? Instruct, teach, counsel. I'm going to give you everything you need to walk with me, everything you need for life and godliness. It's a picture of God taking you by the hand and teaching you how to walk because in your sin you, 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 you forgot, you, you lost it, but now He's going to teach you how to walk. He's going to show you the good way of His grace. Uh, same thing David says in Psalm 23 when he says, He leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Oh, He wants us to walk with Him. And so He's given us His Word to lead us. He sends us His Spirit to instruct us. He surrounds us with fellow believers in the church to teach us for our joy in Him. He wants us. He wants you to live in fellowship with Him, dear believer, enjoying Him, in glorifying Him. That's what this is all about. Notice, notice how He says, I-, I love this, I'll do this with my eye upon you. Love that picture. What's that call to mind? For all the world, it reminds me of a parent teaching their child to walk. 
I'll take you by the hand and lead you along the way. I'll watch over you for your good so that no harm can come to you as long as you're walking with me. Oh child, come along. Trust me. Hold my hand and I will keep you safe. And then, notice verse 9, he gives a warning. We need the warnings. But don't be like the horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it won't stay near. Don't be a stubborn mule, my child. Don't be a rebel horse that refuses to follow its master. First of all, he says, it's just dumb. That's what he means when he says without understanding. It's dumb to have a God like this so ready to lead you along the good way and then refuse. Why are we like that? Stupid mules. Don't be like that. Stop resisting Him. Don't meander away because second, it's just dangerous. There's wolves out there and snares in that place He's rescued us from. Why would you go back to that? That's what He saved you from. Don't return to it. No, He says, stay close to Me and do so willingly. Don't be like the horse that has to be forced with a rope and a bridle. I think that's referring to just following Him by rules. You have to be tied down by the law. You're a legalist. You've got to have these rules or you won't stay near Him. No, He says, do it out of a heart of love, the new heart full of grace. Come follow Me because you're Mine. That's the point, right? Turn to God with a heart full of faith. Hate your sin. Turn from it. Confess it. Forsake it. Dear one, use your words as you tell your children. Confess your sin to God. Trust Him to forgive as He's promised. Let Him restore you to this place of fellowship. Let yourself be led by Him day after day through His Word in fellowship with His people filled with the joy of His presence. That's the life. And that's the point of this psalm. Verse 10 and 11, two quick things and we're done. We're going to the Lord's Supper. He sums up. First of all, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surround those who trust in the Lord. The life of repentance and faith toward God brings joy, 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 but forsaking Him results in sorrow, sorrow, sorrow. The life of the unbeliever, and that's what wicked means here, the unbeliever apart from God, the life of the unbeliever is ultimately filled with sorrow. Sorrow upon sorrow ending ultimately in the greatest sorrow which is judgment. But... Those who trust in the Lord are, look at the word, surrounded by the multiplying blessing of His steadfast love. His, his hesed. Some of you know that word. It's a word for His covenant faithfulness that surrounds us like a fortress and holds us securely. Now that's a picture to ponder in your mind. Surrounded by hesed. Enfolded in His faithfulness. Kept in His goodness. It doesn't mean bad things will never happen to you in this bad world, but it means that every bad thing that happens to you, you will find He is holding you as you go through it. Blessed are you. And dear one, that's why we celebrate. If you know that God has forgiven you like this and promised you these things, dear friend, you have every reason to shout for joy. Verse 11, you ought to just... Go get alone by yourself and do what verse 11 says sometime today. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, by faith. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Think about 
what God has done for us as we trust Him. If you're in Christ, think about it. My sins, which were many, are forgiven. My guilt, which was heavy, has been lifted off my shoulders. The judgment my sins deserve will never fall on me because it fell on Him. Rejoice! Blessed are you because of His grace. Can you say that this morning? God has forgiven me all my sin through faith in Christ. That's what we get to celebrate this morning as we we turn to the Lord's Supper to end our time. As we draw near to Him through these symbols of, of, of bread and blood. Are you trusting Him by faith alone to, to, to give all that He promised? Will you trust Him? If you've never trusted in Christ this morning, I, I beg you to do so. To hear His promise, turn from your sin, confess it openly, and receive the grace only He can give. For you who are resting in His promise, I urge you to celebrate with me. To draw near to Christ through this psalm. I'm going to lead us to a time of confession if if I can have the psalm on the screen. And we're just going to confess this together. And we're going to proclaim His goodness. We're going to share the Lord's Supper as a symbol of it. And so, why don't you stand with me? Kind of follow my instruction here. But first of all, just hear the blessing promised to all those who put their faith in Christ. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed are you against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Now join me in response. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as with the heat of summer. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember? Is there any chance for some of you it's still like that now because of sins held on to? So what is our hope? Again, join me. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover over my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Just bow where you are just for a second and whatever sins the Lord brings to mind, confess them to Him. And You may need more time than this. Take it later today, but for now, whatever He brings to mind, confess it. And as I say, you may need more time. It's worth whatever time you need to invest. But as a believer, trust in His promise, which is where we turn now. God's invitation. Hear it as your invitation. So let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, God, in a time when you may be found. And our response, you come with me. Lord, You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And then we hear God's promise to us as we come. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. 
I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And again, join me. Let us not be like stubborn mules who refuse to listen, like wayward horses who will not follow. For many... God warns us, are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in Him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You may be seated. Father, brothers, go ahead and come. You're going to help me serve here. Father, oh, would you let these words... We've read on a screen and on a paper in front of us of Your Word. Would You let them inhabit our hearts? Would You move us beyond the simple repetition of sounds into the taking hold of the reality those words are meant to bring us into the reality of Christ for us, sins forgiven, and life granted because of His finished work. Would You help us now, Lord, to drink in the reality of these words. Lord, the believer who is who's sitting there struggling, oh, my sin, would You let them with the touch and the taste of bread and the cup be reminded of the finished work of Christ and sins forgiven. Would You, would you weigh heavy on the one who is clinging to sin to say, why would You be so foolish? Why would you hold on to some ridiculous sin that can only poison and kill you when freedom and grace is offered you through repentance and faith in Christ? And would you give Holy Spirit the ability to, to lay hold of Christ by faith as we celebrate Him in these symbols? It is in His name that we pray. Amen. Take just a minute while we pass these out to pray as the Lord if, would have you. As you hold the symbols in your hands, think of what they mean and what it means to have this freely given gift and the grace of forgiveness that is promised. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, the night He was betrayed, He took the bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, your body was broken that I might be whole. And by your death, the burden was lifted. And life was given. Same way he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, it's you. It's what you did. The finished work restoring us to fellowship with God, bringing us into covenant. Lord, even there we see that hesed. The promise of your covenant faithfulness. You will never let us go. You will teach us and instruct us. You will give us new life. Lord, you, you didn't save us and forgive us to leave us where you found us, but to bring us along, Lord. And so now we, as your people, commit to continuing to walk with you, to walk in the new way. 
uh, with, with, with clean hearts and clean hands, Lord, and as often as we dirty them, to bring them back to You again and to ask for Your cleansing grace to know that we have it to know that we have the instruction and the help of Your Spirit. Even this week, the rest of this day, and all this week, we, are, we will be led by You through Your Spirit and Word as we give our attention to You. Because as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. For it is in Your saving name that we pray. Amen.